Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Alright, here we go boys. This is going to be a fun one. And you know why it is going to be fun? Because Canada beat the United States. That's why it's going to be fun. Um, this is the Unsackable Podcast and I'm your host Manuel Faden and I'm really looking forward to this show and I'm really looking forward to talk to Filippo. I know we did a post-match on your, I think it's YouTube channel. Um, don't even know where this stuff ends up these days. I'm too old. But um, that was a bit more sober or sombering. Um, but Filippo, we have to talk about this game. Does a zero, two nil for Canada. Um, you had this coming, buddy. Uh, I, I I like to live dangerously, man. I did that all of 2021 against Mexico fans, but unlike Mexico or L3, Canada isn't finished. Um, L3 is, so I'm sorry to the Mexican listeners, but yeah, uh, Burhalter ball didn't work. John Herdman outcoached him once again. Canada was efficient, found a way to win. I'm sure we're going to talk about a little bit about that game, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I have to take this L this time, but I'm not apologizing to Canada. It's a great rivalry that's just getting started. It's just getting started, and don't worry, guys. You won the battle. You guys haven't won the war yet. Win a trophy. <laughs> Uh, I love that you still have a fighting spirit. And um, Adrian, we did promise to be nice to him. And I think we are going to be nice to him. But he will have to live with this for a little while, eh? Yeah, he absolutely will. He is our he is the Icarus of this podcast. He flew a little too close to the sun with that two-point prediction for Canada during this window, I think. That was but, a um, mistake. It was brutal a brutal mistake. mistake. And, you know, he hasn't necessarily been bad with predictions in the past, but that is that is absolutely a howler. So it's, it's unfortunate, Filippo. It's, uh, we do get a little bit of... Uh, a little bit of glee from your pain on this occasion simply because of that reason. But hey, man, I'm sure that we'll we'll go to battle again very soon. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't worry. The U.S. will top. And also remember, in 2021, the U.S. did top Canada. It was a win for the United States and a draw. But now you guys got the best out of us for this one. Congratulations on the win. I'll give you guys that. But we move. Yeah, but we're not moving too fast because we do need to talk about this game. And um, Adrian... We both went on Filippo's channel and we got got to hear the moan and complain about all the wrongs with this team. So uh, if you want to lift that, sure, go there. Um, but let's let's praise 
Canada here for a moment. And make no mistake, this was was not pretty. Um, it was about as ugly as a win as you can ever get. Um, but it was still a tactical masterpiece, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things that you keep on sort of seeing being echoed on social media or in comments or whatever is that, you know, oh, Canada won playing like cowards at home. But these people just don't understand that you can still be in control of a game while giving possession to the other team. Because clearly Herdman and his staff identified that the States very much struggle in the attack. They're going to try and cycle it to the wing, and then they're going to try and throw it into the box. And Borian, Vitoria, you name it, Miller, whoever, was always there to meet it. And so, yeah, give surrender possession to the United States, knowing that they have been struggling and haven't had much, you know, productivity in the attack recently. Now, of course, Canada didn't have everything perfect, that's for sure. It wasn't a perfect, perfect execution of the tactics, I would say, because like you brought up on Filippo's channel, there was a lot of moments where that transition, and I think this is where we're missing a guy like a Hutchinson or a Eustachio, that transition from defense to offense was a little bit brutal at times. A lot of wayward passes, a lot of just hoofing it up, that kind of thing. But in the end, sit back, invite the pressure from the U.S., hit them in transition, and it worked. And you can't complain. And, you know, I do say there was some loose passing, but that first goal was beautiful. And Filippo, have your say now. Yeah, uh, again, what many of the United States fans need to understand is I I saw a lot of people saying that Canada just bunkered and that's how they just played a low block. Well, here's the thing. The way Canada plays, it makes it seem like the opponent is dominating the game, but that's not the truth. Right For the Twitter tacticians that love stats, Canada beat the U.S. in expected goals, for example. So the whole thing of dominating possession, sometimes it may look like you're dominating the game, but it doesn't mean you truly are. And as a Palmeiras fan, which Adrian knows very well, Abel Fajeda is known for playing very similar to John Herdman right there. Soak up the pressure, let the opponent dominate, and try to kill them in a counter. Or on one of their mistakes. And we saw that in the Libertadores final. Where Palmeiras literally scored off a counter early in the game. A long ball that they was able to score. And off a mistake from Andres Pereira. Former Manchester United and Flamengo. And I saw a lot of resemblances there with Canada. And and remember, Palmeiras won two Libertadores playing that way. Getting, quote quote me on that, quotation mark, being dominated. But it's just a, a philosophy of soccer. It's a style of play. It works for Canada. Herdman knows it. And it has been working. How do you question that? I mean, Honduras also had more possession in the game they faced Canada. That's something that not many people are talking about. And Canada still won 2-0. Yeah, I think that the the Honduras game was cleaner though by Canada. I did like the one criticism I have, and it is because Eustachio and Hutchinson were missing, was that they maybe were not, the passing was not great. And if you're a little bit more clinical, I think you win this game by more if you're more clinical in your transition game, as I said in, on the channel, right? But it also reminds me, it's the second time really we've seen a performance like this at um, Tim Hortons Field. It was very similar to what Pacific FC did to Forge FC in the Canadian Premier League final, Adrian. Um, sort of saying, okay, well, you are the dominant team. Here's the ball. Good luck. You can have it. Yeah, Play for sure. It, right? Yeah, and- and you even see guys like Thomas Tuchel doing that to Pep Guardiola in the Champions mm. League final. You know, there's there's ways to beat these. 
I don't want to say, you know, more skilled teams, but teams who you know are going to want to dominate the ball and who are going to want to be on the front foot. The way that you deal with them is exactly that. You sit back, let you have the ball. We know that we defend well. We know that in the U.S.'s case, you struggle around the goal. So you can have as much possession as you want, but if you're not going to do anything with it, what does it really count for, you know? Mm. Yeah, you, you ensure that possession isn't in the final third or in, in, in dangerous situations. You close down those rooms, those areas. And Lucien Favre actually kind of developed this model. And people didn't like it very much at Borussia Dortmund, but it was actually very effective in, in his previous years and that there is there's certain areas of the field that you where you can give away possession because they don't matter. Um, and there is certain areas of the field where you need to have the ball a lot. And it almost seems like Canada. I mean, people are saying the U.S. had so many chances. I counted one real goal-scoring chance. Um, Ariola was maybe a half, but the real big one was for me the McKenny header. That's the only one where I'm saying that. Like, that's that was a dangerous moment. The the Ariola was a dangerous moment, but it was kind of mm. created out of nothing, right? Uh, yeah. It was a dangerous. McKenny was an actual moment, a corner kick set, and we know McKenny is actually very dangerous off set pieces. Yes, but yeah, the the US didn't create a high volume of opportunities, so I don't know. Um, and also, we don't have a goal scorer in that United States team. That's I think that's a big difference right now, isn't it, boys? A big one in CONCACAF in general. But one thing I wanted to talk about too without moving forward whenever we can is to talk about how big the United States game against Honduras this week is. How important. It's the most important one for the United States in the entire qualifying. Well, let's move to that then. Um, How big is that, Filippo? It's the most important one. And I think U.S. fans are not understanding the importance of this game. Some are, some aren't. Some are nervous. Some are very confident because Honduras has nothing to fight for, right? They're out. Mm -hmm. But neither did Trinidad Tobago in Cuba in 2017. They had nothing to fight for. The U.S. went down there, lost, and we know the outcome of that. We missed the World Cup. But what happens with this game is for the next window, the top five teams are fighting for four spots, where Canada is pretty much qualified at this point. So it's essentially U.S., Mexico, Panama, and Costa Rica fighting for those three other spots, where one of them is the Interconfederate playoffs. The United States has the toughest window of them all. We play Mexico away, we play Costa Rica away, and we play Panama at home. So we play all three opponents that have something to fight for, and two of them are away. And American fans know that we really struggle against Costa Rica away. Mexico away is always a problem. And Panama at home, who knows, right? We could have Jassy's artist score an own goal again, for all I know. So this window is very tough. If we don't finish this one right now with 21 points... We'll go to the last window, probably needing two wins out of three to finish top three. It's going to be rough under Greg Berhalter. So tomorrow's game is key. And don't forget one thing. If the United States gets to the game against Costa Rica, needing to get points to qualify, how is that pressure going to build up on these players? We already missed the last World Cup against an easier opponent. Trinidad was easier than Costa Rica away. What's going to happen to this team? I don't know what you guys think, but I think pressure is going to build up very, very highly if we get to the Costa Rica game, the very last one, still needing points. It's going to be dramatic, and players might shake. It might not be good. So the United States has to win this game and then probably win against Panama at home, and then we're set for Qatar. Otherwise, yes, we are in trouble. 
Yeah, it certainly feels like that, especially since the mind mindset around us team seems to be very negative, right? And that's that's very a big one. It's total polar opposite of what's going on at the Canada camp, Adrian, where I don't think even a loss would would bother this this lot because it's just so much positivity. And we're going to El Salvador. We have to remember we still need to beat El Salvador. Yeah. <laughs> Um, at least get a point, I think that's the, the bare minimum, right? Um, that's going to be a, an important one, I think, too, to just kind of put a cap on this. Yeah, definitely, because El Salvador isn't necessarily a pushover, are they? They've been playing pretty decently. They gave the U.S. a pretty difficult time. Um, and yeah, I mean, yes, the the vibes are great for Canada. You see it in every single piece of media that's sort of released by Canada Soccer that this is... This is like a true team, which you don't always see in international football. This is a true unified team. I don't know if you guys saw the video even of, it was Junior Hoylet when he got that nutmeg towards the end of the game and he went on that little run. You can see the entire bench is on their feet. Everyone is standing, getting into it. Everyone is rushing to celebrate every single goal. The bench empties every single time. It's just the unification of this team recently has made them almost feel sort of like an unstoppable force in that if they were to take a loss, I don't know that they would necessarily rock their mentality at all. It doesn't feel like it would be fatal to the momentum that they have at this moment. Because like you said, at least just getting a point away to El Salvador, you know, coming off of this high against the United States, winning 2-0, that's great. It wouldn't surprise me in this cruel game if we went down to El Salvador and then ended up with a draw or dare I say a loss, but I don't really see a loss coming. But yeah, and I think that it would be it would be great to get that win and to to, you know, all but secure qualification because in the next window, away to Costa Rica, at home against Jamaica, and then away to Panama to close things out. So it's not going to be an easy final window there. Yeah, I agree. Um, and maybe my final thoughts too, before we move on to the transfer window, because we have a lot to discuss there as well. It'd be good to get a win against El Salvador because with 25 points, you you're not officially qualified, but you pretty much are. And that gives you three games to experiment a little bit, you know, try out some guys, um, give some playing time to some players. And I think that's that's a useful thing to have, um, to, to give players a chance to play games, meaningful games, because they are still meaningful, right? Rather than and friendlies that are not really taking that serious. So I think getting a win against El Salvador and almost putting a cap on it, be great but boys um i want to move this on because we have some transfer to discuss um transfer deadline day i'm so glad it's done guys um i think it slept like a grand total of six hours from friday to yesterday and then even last night um so why i um started my day i think at 2 30 and it finished at some point at six or seven uh, pacific time it was a very very long day and it's done and um before we started the show, you guys asked me about some of the articles and I couldn't even remember because it felt like it was such a blur. But we want to talk about a few of the things that happened in this window. And um, let's start with the South America guys first, Filippo. Um, this was not a deadline day deal, right? Um, but it is one that is something that we have to keep an eye on. And you want to talk about this Palmeiras kit, uh, Endrick. Yeah, because I've been talking about Endriki for a while, uh, at least a couple weeks. And ever since he started to get more media attention, not because of me, but because of himself. And he's starting to get linked to Real Madrid and, and I think some other European Barcelona. 
And this could be the next Brazilian transfer, somewhat like Vinicius Jr., where someone pays 40, 50 million for a kid out of the Brazilian academy. And this actually might be the biggest Brazilian talent since Neymar. He looks more polished. He looks more ready and more talented even than Vinicius um, at Real Madrid. He's a lefty attacking midfielder slash center forward, more of a center forward. And the kid is just a goal scoring machine. And he helped lead Palmeiras to win their first Copinha, which is the Copa São Paulo that we talked about when it started early January here at the, the podcast, which is the biggest U-20 tournament in Brazil and possibly one of the biggest in the world that Neymar had played, Gabriel Jesus, many Brazilian legends had played in Ronaldinho in the past. And this kid just balled through it and helped Palmeiras win it for the very first time. And, I mean, Palmeiras recently just produced Gabriel Jesus. This kid is ahead of it. He's a major talent. The potential is huge. And we got to keep an eye on it. So don't be surprised if you see in a year from now or so, um, Endrick from Palmeiras heading to a Real Madrid for a freaking fee that is just complete nonsense because it's probably worth the risk, especially after Vinicius Jr.'s investment is finally paying off. They might go to risk it, but it's just a player to keep an eye on. We wanted to mention it before mainstream media mentions it, just to make, just to let everyone know we are keeping an eye on it, on him. He's fifteen. Yes, his dad. By the way, just add one thing. Uh, he's been Flamengo has been trying to get him out of Palmeiras because he technically can't sign a professional contract with Palmeiras till he turns sixteen, right? Mm. Uh, his dad works for Palmeiras, uh, so he's likely going to stay there and going to make a lot of money at age 16, which he turns this year, by the way. So he'll probably sign that contract and then Palmeiras will probably negotiate him with Europe probably early because it's going to be so much money. He's so young that our Brazil desk in Sao Paulo had to put out an article explaining why he doesn't have a market value. Because <laughs> uh, what what is gonna be? It's gonna be crazy, right? How do you put his market value? Because he's fifteen, you're gonna, he's, he's fifteen, and, and then Madrid pays like thirty million for him out of nowhere. Yeah, um, it's it's going to be. He's going to get a market value too. We had a similar situation with uh, Yusufu Mukuku at BVB, and then at sixteen he got his first market value, and I think it was eight million euros. But it's hard for these young guys, right, to put a, put a value on it. Um, so yeah, stay tuned with that one. It's going to be an interesting one. I'm I, I'm not in charge of this. Um, the Brazil desk does this, and um, it would be interesting to see how they're going to handle this because it is a difficult one to put a market value on it. Um, we have a bit of a better idea when it comes to market values about another guy, though, Filippo, and that's Julian Alvarez from River Plate. He is going to Manchester City. Um, the deal is done now. It was an 18 million euro, sorry, 17 million euro transfer. Um, plus bonuses, etc. So pretty much hit his market value that we had, which was 20 million. And um, But he's staying at River Plate until the summer and is going to move to Manchester City then. Has some implications too because um, River Plate are in on Tati Castellanos, who we of course know from um, New York City, right? And they are in negotiations with him as well. And um, a couple of other teams are in it. Palmeiras are in for Tati, uh, Filippo. Mm -hmm. And so is Internacional. Um, so there's a few few clubs still interested, but they're one of them. But, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how they're going to react with, to the fact that they still have Julian Alvarez till the summer. 
um, if they're going to bring in someone now or wait um, and that will have implications on other deals. But um, Julian Alvarez to City, what do you make of that? So, very talented player. Last season, I believe he scored in <laughs> almost every single game for River played in the Argentine mm -hmm. League. Uh, I've seen him more at the Copa Libertadores, which this past season he wasn't too good there for River Plate, but um, previous runs he was pretty good at a young age. Very technical player, can play in the wing, can play as a center forward. I've thought to see that he has been more successful playing as a center forward, a very technical one. I'm interested to see how he's going to transition into the Premier League and into Pep Guardiola's system. Uh, but I think he's going to be pretty successful. And I think Adrian actually made a video about it on his channel, which I still haven't watched. And the guy that he brought in is definitely better to talk about Julian Alvarez because he talks about him so much, which is Fede. Adrian, uh, bring us what you got on Julian. Yeah, so Fede gave me the lowdown, man. And it sounds like it sounds like Julian Alvarez is going to be actually a pretty decent fit because what Fede was saying was that he plays in a similar sort of system already to that of Pep Guardiola's under Marcelo Gallardo. So he sort of plays that... A very fluid, if you look at a 4-2-3-1, he plays a very fluid front four, right? So he can play either as the striker or as the center attacking mid or on the right or the left. And everyone sort of flows around and aren't really hinged to a particular position. And Alvarez has really thrived in that. So as far as a system goes and getting used to Guardiola's, he's at least familiar. It's not going to say that Gallardo's is exactly the same as Guardiola's, but it's he's at least familiar with it, right? He's not going from like a Simeone type team to a Guardiola type team or something like that. But yeah, I think that it's it's very much, uh, there's a lot of misinformation out there because everyone was saying, oh, he's he's the next Aguero, he's an Aguero regen, but he's not really that kind of player from what I've understood. He is, uh, he, he, actually what Fede said was that he almost reminds him more of a Thomas Mueller type um, in that he can sort of play in the spaces and he draws players and he's good at distribution um, and an excellent finisher, as you mentioned. So I think that, I think that he's going to be a good fit. A lot of people are saying, okay, so he's, I guess he's kind of closer to a Gabriel Jesus than he is to an Aguero. What do you think of that, Filippo? He's, um, from what I've seen, right, I haven't watched Julian as much as Fede, but I have watched Gabriel Jesus more than Fede because Jesus has come from Palmeiras and plays for Brazil. Julian, he's, so his playing style a lot of the times will look like the way Harry Kane plays, right? Um, coming out of the box, sometimes looks like a deep lying forward, false nine, center forward. He's not a straight up center forward, and he's he's much more technical than Gabriel Jesus. I'll tell you that. I just don't think he's as fast, more clinical in front of the goal as well than Gabriel. So we'll see. I think personally, he has more tools to succeed in the Premier League than Gabriel Jesus, in my opinion. But we'll see. It's a different transition, right? Uh, He's also 22, so it's not like he's going there as an 18-year-old. He's coming much more prepared. We'll see. Uh, I think he'll fit in just fine, but it's a big jump. I, yeah, that's it. It's a big jump, and I think the biggest thing for him will be the shock of going from Buenos Aires to Manchester, where Bernardo Silva famously said that, quote, the weather is the worst. So that's always going to be a bit of a shock for either the South Americans or the players from warmer climates. But yeah, I think that a lot of City fans were maybe expecting that and maybe people on the outside of city actually were more saying you know oh this city side they need an out and out striker someone to finish off those chances that go bagging through the box but if you look at how guardiola has been playing basically without a true striker for the last couple of seasons 
this signing makes all the more sense because he can be employed in so many positions. I mean, Bernardo Silva has played as a central midfielder. He's played on the right. He's played as a false nine. He's played as a striker. Same thing with Raheem Sterling, Kevin De Bruyne, etc. So Alvarez is another one of those sort of Swiss army knife type players that can be employed in multiple positions and they can make sure that it's still a fluid sort of attack. Also, considering how Manchester City often pays $100 million for a player like Jack Grealish, paying $20 million or less than $20, right, for Julian Alvarez almost sounds like a bargain to them, right? The, the risk is much lower than what they spend in other players. And if it doesn't work out, they can probably easily resell him for something like that or loan him out to see if it, it, it works. So uh, pretty low fee for Manchester City standards, I would say. It's a great piece of business, 100%. Um, also the striker that they need and I think it also puts to bed um, the silly Erling Haaland rumors um, about him maybe going there I think that's because Alvarez as you guys rightfully pointed out fits much better into that system I want to stay in the Premier League boys and I want to talk about Everton and they dodged a bullet in not bringing in with the Pereira a legendary 1860 Munich coach Um but they did not dodge a bullet because they brought in Frank Lampard instead. Is that cruel? What do you guys think? Um, I mean, maybe it is. But when you when you take a good hard look at what Frank Lampard has actually achieved as a manager, I don't know what you can really look to. With Derby County, I think he finished in sixth in the championship and then made it to the playoff finals and lost the final. Then he went to Chelsea, had a pretty mediocre run there at Chelsea. So I don't know. Um, I personally, this kind of signing doesn't really excite me whenever I would see Frank Lampard's name brought up as someone who could really, you know, help this Everton side and bring them from close to the bottom of the table, pretty much at the bottom of the table, back up to a more safe area. So I don't know that Frank Lampard is necessarily someone that I would look to, but I mean, you never know. Sometimes there's a perfect fit and all of these sort of nuances end up working for them. So we'll see. But for me, based on that and some of the signings that they made this winter, I just it just feels like more of the same at Everton where they're just kind of, you know, what we spoke about previously. They go for the big names. You know, Frank Lampard is a big, well-known name in the Premier League. Does he have the pedigree as a manager? Not necessarily. But this is sort of what Everton have done with guys like, you know, Ronald Koeman and now bringing in Frank Lampard. So we'll see. Maybe he'll prove me wrong, but it doesn't seem like a signing that I think will really elevate them too much. Maybe they also don't need a great coach right now. They just need a little bit of a boost of energy to get a couple wins, a new a new guy in charge, get a couple wins, escape relegation. And he might not be the best for the long term, but just to get out of this current situation. They also made um, two signings. We'll see how that goes. I'm interested to see how Donny van de Beek will finally maybe play in the Premier League. I don't know, man. Everton has been weird. They, they definitely don't have a money spending problem. They do spend money. It's just poorly spent and things haven't really worked out for them the past few seasons. Yeah. And the two signings that they made and Donny van de Beek and Deli Alley, it's, it feels like not a lot of planning once again. I don't know how Lampard intends to use them both, but when I think of Deli Alley in his prime and I think of Donny van de Beek in his prime at Ajax, 
they sort of, not in the exact same position, but they sort of say, played in similar positions, you know, off of the striker, making those runs off the ball, getting in behind, making those late runs into the box, what have you, all sort of similar type of things, similar sort of qualities when they're at their peak. So is it just going to be another situation where Donny van de Beek is, you know, riding the bench for a little bit longer or is he going to usurp Deli Alley? It's, I don't know. This, this Everton team is certainly an interesting one because it's, I think it's a good testament to money does not bring you success and that having a good sporting plan is ultimately the trump card for any club. I think that's 100% bang on. Um, really interesting about all these signings is, and I fully agree with you guys with Dale Ali and Donny van der Beek being kind of the, not the same player, but same position. Um, one... I remember when I reported this and I got absolutely smacked around by Chelsea Twitter um, at the time. Um, I was told, and they tried to go for Julian Nagelsmann first before they went for Tuchel, that, um, and this was like six months before they fired him, that they were, Chelsea were already trying to get rid of Frank Lampard. Um, the only reason that he was able to stay is because he guided them into the Champions League, right? And uh, I was told by a very reliable source that the moment he's going to hit any sorts of rocks, he's going to be out because, and I quote, Frankie is a nice guy, but he doesn't know anything about tactics. That's what my source said to me. And um, at Chelsea, they knew this. And um, I don't know if he's fixed those issues or not, um, but he was not considered someone who was capable of um, tactically advancing a team. Um, and that's a that's a really brutal assessment. It's not mine. It's an assessment given to me by a source, um, a source that was very reliable and turned out to be right. <laughs> and so we'll, we'll see how that turns out. Um, very very curious um, about the next steps. Um, we should stay in the Premier League, guys. And I'm going to ask you about this. Um, and don't worry, we're going to talk about Aubameyang in a moment because this is just so funny. But um, Bruno Gomeris, Filippo, to Newcastle. Um, I think it's a good deal for OL. They paid relatively little money for him and they got 41 million euros for him now. I think 8 million from uh, Paranaense and then 41 million to sold to Newcastle. Um, what do you make of that deal? Yeah, let me fix you one thing before people complain about it. It's Bruno Guimarães. That's how he... Bruno Guimarães. Guimarães, that's how he said in Brazil. So he played for Atlético Paranaense, did pretty well. A team that does very well in cups at Brazil, by the way. Always making it to the Brazilian Cup final. Won the Copa Sudamericana this year. Uh, so he did very well there. Then he went to Olympique Lyon, and I didn't really follow him there. He apparently succeeded there, unlike just like Lucas Paqueta. And now he gets the transfer to the Premier League, and it's a big challenge for him. I'm pretty sure he's going to be one of the best players in that team. In the Brazilian national team, he's been in and out of the roster, not getting many minutes, but he's been in and out. And I believe he was and played a key role at the Olympics. Yeah, last year in the Olympics, he did play for Brazil most of the matches, if not all of them. Good signing for them, and like you said, it was a good deal for Lyon. They made some good money off of it. Let's see how Bruno does in the Premier League. But Newcastle, with their current situation, they need to get whatever they can. And out of the signings that they made this window, this is by far the most talented one. And let's see how he does. 
yeah, very curious as well. Um, it, it just struck me as a really good piece of business by OL as well. Um, Olympique Lyon, of course, very well known for this. Guys, okay, we need to talk about this. I'm so excited. Um, it was a very busy day yesterday, but this kept me entertained from the very start to the very end. So to recap, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, he earns €420,000 a week at Arsenal, top earner. Um, Arsenal desperate to get rid of him. Absolutely desperate. I tell you, absolutely desperate. They have an offer from Saudi uh, that doesn't go through. He doesn't want to go there. Shows up in Barcelona. We all think, okay, here, here he comes. He comes a deal to Barcelona, right? And um, it turns out that Barcelona didn't even know he was really there. Um, no one picked him up at the at the airport. He just was there and hang, to hang out. And um, so there goes the story goes back and forth from Aubameyang is going to Barcelona. He's not going to Barcelona. Barcelona don't even know he's there. To all of a sudden there's negotiations. Then Savi saying he doesn't want to have him. All of a sudden there's negotiations. After all, um, this lasts all day to the point where we're getting photos sent to us where he has signed a contract. Now, the bottom line of this is, guys, he's actually not officially announced yet by Barcelona. So there is a chance. I, I don't think this is going to happen. Although it would be funny and it'd be, it would just be the ultimate of this story that this still could fall through. Adrian and Filippo, Aubameyang, showing up at Barcelona to get a move to Barcelona. That must be the funniest story of this deadline day. So so he pretty much went for vacation at Catalunya, at Barcelona, and got a job? That's what happened? Yeah, summer job. So you think that would happen to me if I showed up at maybe like Madrid? Would Real Madrid just like keep me there or something? We should try. I mean, yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> I, I don't know. This is just a funny story. I don't have much to say about it. Uh, it's just weird how Aubameyang's career just kind of like fell off the past like 12 months or so. We'll see how it ends. Um, I guess for now, it seems like he will be a Barcelona player in the <laughs> strangest way possible. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, it, it's it's bizarre because as Manuel said, Arsenal have been desperate to get rid of him because of all of his sort of... I guess, issues with professionalism. You know, he's he was showing up late to training all the time. He was stripped of his captaincy, uh, taking trips that weren't, you know, authorized by the club, et cetera, et cetera. So the writing was sort of on the wall for a move for him to move away for a while, at least. You know, he went down to, I think he went to AFCON and he had some medical issues, actually. So he was sent back home. But prior to AFCON, he was seen partying. Uh, so it's there's definitely reason for Arsenal to want to get rid of him. So I'm sure that they welcomed his little vacation that he took to Barcelona, which, you know, there was murmurs that, oh, no, he's just there with his family. He's not actually there to get a job. But then he was actually signing Barca kits when he arrived at the airport alone. So it was the most bizarre. And to add to that even further, he now could potentially be playing with Usman Dembele, who he... Said Sorry, that. I'm laughing, but it's just so brilliant. I know. So, so Usman Dembele was, you know, persona non grata, get out of our club, you have to leave by the end of January. And now it could be that the same sort of situation, not to that degree, of course, at Arsenal, but the same sort of situation where Arsenal don't want Aubameyang. Now both of these players have found shelter at FC Barcelona. But we can say, and you can speak to this well, Manuel, that 
that link up between Dembele and Aubameyang back in the day at Dortmund was pretty deadly. Yeah, on and off the pitch. Um, <laughs> it's um, yeah, it it's incredible. It I I just sometimes the sports write stories that you can't make up, um, and this is one you can't make up. It's just unbelievable. Um, covering it was unbelievable as well. Uh, we had to rewrite and redraft text several times and update this story. Um, I think it kept us busy, which is great. Um, we waited till waited late into the night uh, in Hamburg. The poor guys in Hamburg, it was like two o'clock in the morning when they finally went home because they realized he wasn't going to be announced um, because we do a done deal text, right? Um, when a transfer is actually announced and we still haven't posted it. It's still on our database. It's not out. We, we, there is no done deal. At this very moment, um, I think Laporta said they're going to maybe announcement at the end of the week. So let's see. But yeah, it's an incredible story. Um, yeah, the Usman Dembele thing is going to be interesting. I mean, they were good together at Dortmund, um, but Aubameyang wasn't exactly the best influence for him either. And now you have those two party birds together at Barca. <sighs> Can we talk about how low Barca has sunk here, boys, for a moment? Um, yeah, especially when you look into the past decade. They were yeah. so successful. They're, they're coming out that of that Pep Guardiola, Messi, Iniesta era, Xavi. And and then now it's just, it, it's, it's almost like a meme club like Arsenal. It kind of fits that Aubameyang is going from Arsenal to Barcelona, right? They're kind of like in the same yeah. vibe of the era. Uh, it's just crazy. I've never seen uh, because Real Madrid also declined a bit from that Ronaldo peak era. Era, but Real Madrid is still very competitive and with good prospects and players emerging. But Barcelona just—I've never seen someone just go down that hard. Besides AC Milan, I guess AC Milan kind of took a hard hit from one season to another when Kaká left. But man, it's just—I don't know. It's weird to see Barcelona in this state. What do you guys make of their transfer window, though? So let's say they do get the Aubameyang transfer, and they also added Adama Traore and Ferran Torres. I mean, Adama Traore is one of those players who, you know, as I said on Twitter, he sort of simmers and never boils. He always sort of threatens to be a very good talent, but he never really reaches that. His Mm -hmm. goal contributions are far too low, in my opinion, to be considered a very effective player. But, I mean, first of all, let's sort of suspend (laughs) any sort of rationale as far as how the financials are working at the club because I just don't understand it anymore. I know they got that loan in, et cetera, et cetera, but I guess debt is paid off by debt. But what do you guys think? Do you think that this is a team that is sort of building in the right direction with, you know, the Ferran Torres, Aubameyang, Adama Traore kind of signings? No. No? (laughs) Straight up no. (laughs) (laughs) No. This is a disaster. It's I think- an absolute disaster. Tor- like Adam Hitori went there because he got better, but Barcelona got way worse. Yeah. I mean, I think that the one signing that really stands out is Ferran Torres because he has proven yeah. that he is a good talent at Manchester City. I think that time under Pep Guardiola really made him into, you know, because I think at Valencia, he wasn't necessarily a center forward. He was more of sort of a winger type player. I could be wrong. So someone can fact check me on that. But I think that he actually has come out on the other side as a better player. You know, he's done well for Spain as well. I think that that's a very good signing. Um, but when you look at Aubameyang 
and what he has sort of done at Arsenal recently, which is very little as far as actual, you know, effectiveness on the pitch. And then you look at Adama Traore, it's, I don't really see where they're going with this. Maybe Xavi can be the one to unlock the the potential that people seem to see in Adama Traore, but it's, it's hard to see where they're going with this attack at the moment, isn't it? It doesn't seem to fit also. It, I, I don't know, man. Um, I don't know what's up with Xavi, what his plan is. Maybe he doesn't have a plan right now. Also, they're spending money, which apparently they didn't have any left, right? But they're still able to spend money. I, 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 I Kind of like Manchester United, Barcelona is a topic I don't feel like talking about. So <laughs> I'll just give it to you guys. I'll get back. It, their center forwards at the moment are Luke de Jong, Martin Brathwright, and uh, Memphis Depay. I, I hear silence. Like, that just sums it up. <laughs> and, and Ferran Torres. And Ferran Torres. He can be thrown in there as well because he'll be played as a center forward. Right. Okay. So um, maybe Ferran Torres, Luke de Jong, Martin Brathwright, and Memphis Depay. Yeah, there's a couple of there's a couple of memes in there for sure with the de Jong and the and the Brathwaite. I forgot who, Luke de Jong was there. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, a lot of Barcelona supporters would like to forget that he's there as well, but unfortunately, he's he's part of the club. But I don't know. It's it's definitely a weird one. I think that Barcelona they're kind of taking the scattergun approach as well when it comes to signings and just getting who they can to try and fix their attack because it's been failing so so much lately. But whether they're doing that with these signings, it's hard to see, besides mm. Ferran Torres at least. Unfortunately, he's part of the club should be Barcelona's new club slogan. Um, I think that'd be very fitting. Hockey fans, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has a no-brainer offer that'll make you a winner once any shot gets past the goalie. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores. The NHL got rid of ties in 2005, so you know someone is going to light the lamp. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, no worries. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN, throw down $1 on any NHL game, and win 100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. That's promo code TPPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Let's move on to a club that has actually done some good business. Um, Juventus signing Dennis Zakaria on a late deal from Borussia Mönchengladbach. Um, Gladbach, an interesting story, by the way, guys. Uh, I will go into more in-depth about that on the Gegenpressing podcast. We're actually recording that as well today. So um, if you want to hear more about that, uh, go to that episode, I guess, of that show. But um, Gladbach, we're desperate to to sell Zakaria this window because they, um, A, they need the money, but B, Zakaria could have left on a free transfer. Um, he was linked to Bayern Munich, who um, had looked at Zakaria. Salihamidzic thinking maybe he could play a centre-back, but he, clearly he's not a centre-back. Um, he can't play that position and they didn't want to buy him anyway. So that was clearly, like it was quickly thrown out the window. But 
I actually think for Gladbach, it's a good deal to actually still get money for him, um, about 8 million euros at the end of the day. Um, for Juventus, I think it's it's a great signing as well. He's a fantastic uh, defensive midfielder. Um, gives them a bit more stability uh, in the middle of the park. Um, they did sell Bentancur, right, um, to Tottenham. So I think he's actually better than Bentancur. And uh, so it's a good it's a good all around signing. What do you guys make of what's going on in Juventus? Because this is a club that's that's still very much rebuilding. Yeah, they are. And, uh, you know, they have Cherubini in there who's taking on sort of the Paratici role, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I think that he's done a great job, not only with the signings that they've made, but I think one of the most important things is, you know, getting rid of these assets that weren't necessarily doing anything for them anymore. Like your Bentancur's, uh, Kulisevsky, who has a lot of potential, but it hasn't really hit at Juventus. Aaron Ramsey, they sent him to Rangers as well, which is huge to get his wages off. Although I did see in the announcement that it said that Rangers will cover part of his wages. So they're still sort of on the hook for some of them there. Um, but yeah, the, the signings they made, Vlahovic is a signing they absolutely needed, which we covered to a great degree in a previous episode. Zakaria, they need someone in the midfield who can start winning them some balls. And then this Gatti, Federico Gatti from Frosinone, I'm not going to pretend like I know much about him, but from what I've read from people on Twitter, apparently this could be one of those signings, you know, from the second division that could be a uh, under the radar sort of hit. So I'm interested to see what happens with Federico Gatti, if he will sort of impose himself in their back line, or if he'll be just, a, you know, another good depth option for them. Because with guys like... Bonucci, Chiellini, there's always going to be injuries at every single corner. Even Matthijs De Ligt has had his his uh, certain amount of injuries, that's for sure, at such, such a young age. My goodness, stumbling over my words here. But yeah, it's, it's a position they absolutely needed depth in. So I think, you know, this is smart business from Juve, who are starting to, it feels like they're turning a corner a little bit here in their rebuild. Yeah, and just the signing of Vlahovic uh, on his own is already a difference maker, especially in the Serie A, right? A player that knows the league, he can easily drop 20 goals a season in the city. I mean, he has, what, 15 goals this year? And we're halfway there, a little bit over halfway there. Or more than 15, actually. So just that alone was a big signing for this team and a difference maker in that league, right? You have a player that can put the ball in the back of the net, something that Morata, you never know what you're going to get out of Morata. And then you add Zakaria, and I, I think they did well. And I think Juve is actually on track of... Again, being the number one in Italy eventually, maybe a couple other signings here and there. They've been looking better the past few games from time to time. And I've been watching them closely because of Weston McKinney and one of the key players in that team, by the way. Yeah, and I think that's a good transition to another American, speaking about Weston McKinney, Filippo. Uh, George Bello going to Arminia Bielefeld. He's getting his... Bundesliga move um, out out of Atlanta would have been a free transfer uh, in he could have signed a free transfer agreement in June or July I guess uh, because his contract ran up in December um, but he's getting his move he did and I actually thought this was really interesting there was a higher bid from uh, Serkle Bruges that he turned down because he wanted to play in the Bundesliga instead that speaks for his character doesn't it uh, yeah, I mean, I'm always for players challenging themselves. Whether he made the right decision or the wrong, only time will tell. He would have definitely, going to the Belgium League would have definitely been a smoother transition than going from MLS to Bundesliga. But if you believe you're good enough, go for it. 
congratulations to him. I believe he's probably making more money in Bundesliga as well. So that probably played a role. But regardless, it's it's what I've been saying about the United States is what you want to do is you want to send as many players as you can to the best leagues in the world. So the Premier League, La Liga, Bundesliga, Serie A, Liga, uh, whatever it is, you want to send as many players as you can. Some will succeed, some will fail. The more you have, the more busts you can afford. So I'll be cheering for George Bello. I'll be following him up closely. Personally, I don't know the club very well, so I don't know how he will fit. I don't know if they even need a left back. Maybe you can give me some insight on that. But congratulations to Bello. I'll be following him closely. I'll be covering him every week, pretty much. Yeah, no, I think it's it's a great signing by Bielefeld. Um, a signing that I did not expect him to make, but it's... A really smart piece of business, 600 euros, 600,000 euros um, up front. Deal can grow to 1.8 million euros when, when all incentives are met. Um, Atlanta United retain a sell-on clause as it usually, that's usual fashion. And um, I think they're going to make that money back. Uh, Arminia Bielefeld have been making some really good signings in regards of getting players in, developing them with an eye to sell them. And I, I I personally think that he is going to be one. They could maybe, I spoke to a source and um, that source said to me, they're probably going to make money on him as early as next summer because other teams will try to get him. Um, as for how he will fit in, Kramer, the head coach, comes from the Red Bull system. He was a youth coach at um, RB Salzburg before he went to Armenia Bielefeld. Um, plays a really high pressure attacking style of game. His wing backs or left backs or right backs have to do a lot of work. I think Bello's work mentality fits quite well in there. Um, Andrade has been playing there um, previously, um, but Andrade is more of a center back. So he's he's actually supposed to go back into the center back role. So I think Bello will fit in perfectly there. Um, he will get tons of playing time. They will ask him to be very dynamic and fast and straightforward. And I think this is going to be one to watch. I think George Bello is going to be a hit in Bielefeld. And I think because of that, we're going to probably see him move on very quickly, which is probably what all sides want in this one, right? So, yeah, and really, really interesting transfer. Um, guys, before we wrap this up, um, there's one other very interesting transfer that I wanted to talk about, and um, that's Dennis Undaf. Um, I don't get to talk about Germans abroad very much, but this one really stood out to me because he has been a top scorer in Belgium. 25, um, 18 goals in 25 Jubilee Pro League games. A guy who played three years ago in Germany's third division for Meppen and secured a 7 million euro move from um, Union SG in Belgium to uh, Brighton. So people... Brighton Hove fans, um, yeah, pay attention now because this is a guy that they scouted. The owner of um, this club in Belgium is a former poker player and they're using, they use algorithms to find players, to scout players. And they found him in the third division and he helped them to get into the first division in Belgium because they were still playing in the second division last year. And they're currently first in the table um, in front of everyone, all the big guys. And uh, he's been scoring goal after goal after goal after goal in Brighton. And Union SJ have, of course, the same ownership. So um, that's, this transfer was easily negotiated for next summer. 
Um, he's such an interesting player. So Dennis Undav is one to look up. There's a story, a short story up on him on Transfermarkt. Um, there was a really great article in the German paper as well, the Süddeutsche Zeitung. So if you can read German, uh, I, I highly recommend that as well. But uh, he's one to watch, I think. And um, guys, clubs looking, using algorithms to find players. What do you make of that? I mean, the first thing when this is the first time I ever heard of the story and you mentioned it prior to us recording. And the first thing I thought of was Moneyball. And this is almost like a new approach to Moneyball. Um, I don't have much to add, but just to sort of back up what you're saying as how well they're doing, just so people can sort of picture this. USG is leading the league with 57 points. They are nine points ahead of Club Brugge currently, and they have a goal difference of, I think, plus 36 with 57 scored, which is more than anyone else in the league. So clearly the algorithms are working and it's definitely a team I'm going to be keeping an eye on because it's a team that we could see in the Champions League next season. Yeah, um, very historic club as well. A team that's, in, I think, in the 30s, won a lot of titles uh, in Belgium and then kind of from... They are from Brussels, well, one of the suburbs there, anyways, um, and kind of in the in the shadow of um, RSC Anderlecht, right? But yeah, um, they've won eleven Belgian championships between 1903 and 1935. 1935 was their last one, and um, kind of disappeared after this. And now they, are, you know, on the road, I guess. Um, to a title. And remember, though, it's a little bit more tricky in Belgium to win titles because of the, the playoff system and all the stuff that they use. Um, so, you know, even though if you're first um, this far ahead, there is still a chance that in the end of the day you don't win a title. But, yeah, Union SG is is a club to watch, boys. Um, and is it, this story is, um, is one to watch as well. So keep an eye on it. Um, on that note... I think we're through. Guys, is there anything else you want to add before we call it a day? Uh, that's everything I wanted to talk about. I'm kind of done now with the Canadians. Um, congratulations for the win, everyone. But give me a break right now. You guys haven't accomplished much so far. We'll see you in the World Cup because you guys are qualified. You guys are set, in my opinion. Yeah, nothing to add there. Um, keep going on on uh, Filippo because he deserves it. He, he, he had all this talk without any repercussions and now the repercussions, you know, it's that classic. Oh, well, if it isn't the, the consequences of my own actions. So that's what's happening right now, Filippo, but no, give, give the guy a break. He's been cooked enough. And uh, you know, I think that the results speak for themselves anyways, and the table doesn't lie. That's for sure. Yes. And we were pretty nice to him. Definitely. Um, took it easy. Could have been way worse. Good thing Josh wasn't here. I think Josh has has some thoughts. But yeah, that's it. Um, thanks for listening once again. If you have a chance, please give us a rating. Um, we want to make sure this podcast grows. So please give us a rating. Um, feedback. Uh, my, my messages are open on, on Twitter, my DMs. Um, if you have a question, please send us a question. Uh, we'll see if we can answer it. And yeah, until the next show. Cheers and bye-bye.